Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rag Squad, and welcome to your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins, and this is Ranks FC. And joining me, as ever, is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tsai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And, of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You must be excited. The transfer rumour mill is starting to grind into action. It's really starting to get going. It is a little bit, yes. Obviously, you know, go, as you go into May and you people start to look towards the end of the season and contracts start to expire or they start to hit the last year, like this is when decisions are made over budgets and stuff as well. So it is definitely starting to... Uh, liven up the problem is still that like people like Haaland and Sancho they don't know if their teams are qualifying for the Champions League or what their valuation is so like those things still need to be confirmed so there's a few decisions I think to to come out um, of the bag let's say in the next few weeks and uh, we find out what the likes of Haaland are actually worth. Now the real problem is that remember Dean actually doesn't enjoy transfer Susan at all only us there's only you and i and we only really enjoy it when it's swap deals yeah (laughs) yeah. that does actually make a difference i'll tell you what has ground into act well not ground into action is in full swing at this point it is the bundesliga manager merry-go-round as i'm calling it and i'm going to start this week's things i love with just the chaos that is the managerial round of the Bundesliga. So this morning, Julian Nagelsmann was officially announced as the new manager of Bayern Munich, taking over from Hansi Flick in the summer, who is expected to become the German national team manager when Jürgi Love retires from the job at the end of the Euros. Now, let me just quickly explain to you what's happening in the Bundesliga top seven, because there is only one side here who look currently set to start next season with the same manager that they had at the start of this season, which is just pretty mad, actually. Um, Leipzig's Nagelsmann obviously off to Bayern Munich. Frankfurt's Adi Hütter off to Gladbach. Gladbach's Marco Rosa off to Borussia Dortmund. Bayer Leverkusen sacked their manager, Peter Bosch, in the middle of the season. They currently have an interim manager in Hannes Wolf. Um, and Frankfurt have yet to appoint a new manager. Now, in the midst of all this comes the, the news that we think our old friend Jesse Marsh is going to become the RB Leipzig manager. And it's just chaos. I've drawn a diagram here and it's, it's hard to keep up. Only <laughs> Oliver Glasner at Wolfsburg looks set to be in the same seat at the start of next season. Yeah. That's fun, isn't it? It's like yeah, maybe, it's, maybe every season everyone should have to change their coach. They just get put <laughs> up to auction and you have to change the coach every season to see what happens. That would liven like, things up. Like a draft system. For yeah, coaches. basically. Lads, I mean, Bayern have just set basically a record for, for getting Nagelsmann out of his contract. They're paying, 20, they're paying 25 million euros for a coach here um, on a five-year deal. That's a lot of money. I don't, to I don't know if that's a good idea. I really, I really don't think it is. It does seem like a lot of pressure for a man who has purposely avoided pressure for most of his career so far. And also just like, obviously, when things are going wrong at a club, 
the first thing you do, the cheapest thing that you do has always been to sack the manager because it's much easier to sack the manager than sack the players or get rid of all the players. Whereas we're starting to maybe say that maybe that's not the case because if Nagelsmann, if they've invested 25 million euros into him, I mean, what, what kind of precedent does that set? Not only for just like how much managers cost during a pandemic of all years, they've actually managed to set this record, but also like, does that mean that now managers, they, that clubs feel more tied into them than ever? because of the investment, because you've always been tied to your players, but not your manager. We talked about this a little bit before and about the fact that the Bayern job is is a tricky job. And Niko Kovac, who played for Bayern, failed to win the dressing room last season, basically had a mini revolt uh, and, and was pretty much turfed out unceremoniously and we can tell you that Niko Kovac is, a, is an excellent manager we saw the job he did at Frankfurt we've seen the job he's doing at Monaco this is nothing to do with quality this is about the fact that he just didn't fit with the Bayern ethos now Nagelsmann is someone who has never really had that playing career obviously he's one of these the famous or maybe the first really famous laptop manager in in German and has then come on and, and has a job here to win over a dressing room, which is notoriously difficult to win over. Yeah, I mean, he did, he did play a bit early on and he was actually at 1860 Munich as well, but he he was he, he finished up really early, didn't really achieve any great heights because I think it was a knee injury that he got, but he was he was cut very, very short. Yeah, this is a, this is a real challenge. This is, this is a job that you walk in and you have to stare Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer in the eye. And in the previous seasons, it would have been, Boateng and Hummels and, and 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 Co as well, and you you've got to meet you've got to meet their gaze and you've got to show them that you're worth it. You've got to show them that you've got the the gravitas to carry this job off. It's it's difficult. I am very intrigued to see what happens because I I I, I do not doubt Nagelsmann as a manager, but I just wonder if this is a bit early. I just, I think one of the reasons that they're doing this is because they're talking about this as like they've they've got one of the bosses of the next generation right and that's kind of what they're trying to do with their team as well you've got Kimmich, Gnabry, Goretzka like that's the blend of the core of the squad that they're going to have for these future for these five years of his contract um I saw one person say online like look most of the stars that were difficult to manage are either gone or are moving on uh, so Nagelsmann might not have that same conflict um that Kovac had for example mm. Um, I think Nagelsmann, I'm sure Nagelsmann would already have been in touch with with certain figures within the dressing room to get an idea of, you know, what the feeling would be towards him going there often happens, even if you're using a third party to do that. So I'm sure that that will, that will be okay, but it is whichever way you look at it, spending 25 million on a, on a coach that hasn't won anything is a, is a gamble. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think sure. that's that's completely fair enough. I will say that, that we should probably just pour out a little bit of love for Julian Nagelsmann's journey, right? And and I've read this series of tweets from Dougie Critchley uh, of Football Daily earlier, and it's a, a really good one. He said, a knee injury ends your career at 21. You join a mid-table sides academy winning the title with their under-19s, right? With the club in disarray in the relegation zone in October, they turn to you. You lead them to safety before back-to-back Champions League finishes. That was obviously with Hoffenheim. You get picked up by a bigger club in RB Leipzig. In your first year, you finish third, reach a Champions League semi-final in your club's second ever year in the competition. You construct one of the division's best attacks in your first season and one of Europe's best defences in your second. At the end of your second year, the biggest team in your country, Bayern Munich, one of Europe's most historic teams, comes calling. You are a 33-year-old Julian Nagelsmann and you are living a football manager dream. And, and it just is a brilliant story, isn't 33. it? 33. 
33 and you're in charge of Bayern Munich. Like, that is madness. That's like Sam doing it, taking that job in a couple of years when it goes wrong. Yeah, well, maybe he will. Maybe Sam will <laughs> maybe be the man will. that he turns I, to. I hope to so. Rebuild. I really hope um, so, because I could do with another job. Great love for... Uh, great <laughs> I love want a here. job as a press officer or something. Yeah, exactly. Great love for, we assume, will be his successor for Britzia Romano, reporting this today in, in Jesse Marsh. And, and we obviously love Jesse. We've worked with him before. We've spoken to him before. And we love what he's do, done at, at Salzburg. And we love the, the fact that he's going to kick on, hopefully, and, and try and push even further in, into his managerial career. So some shouts out to Jesse as well. Um, but let's throw it onwards. And DJ, should we throw it to you? What's something you love this week? Something I love, Jack, is um, I don't know if you've been keeping an eye on it, mate. It's the La Liga title race. Again? <laughs> are we really doing this? We are, mate. Um, infamously <laughs> called as in the bag. <laughs> what was it, January? Uh, Might have been December. At- it was Atleti- January. Yeah. Were 10 points clear. They did have games in hand. And you got sucked in to believing that that could be over, despite the fact there are teams called Barcelona and Real Madrid in, in the league. And, Atletico, and Sevilla. And Sevilla, actually. And, um, yeah, Atletico have been scared of their own shadows pretty much since that day that you announced that they were going to win the league. Um, they've imploded. And we've now got to the point where the title wasn't even in their own hands. We talked about this on Patreon on Monday, but we need a wider audience for this. Um Barcelona play Granada on Thursday. They win that game, then they will be top of the league. And if they win the remaining games, then they are Spanish champions this season. Um, look, we've got a Granada fan here with us. So I'm not going to say that this is a guarantee. Uh, two, two Granada fans, sorry. Two Granada fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the fact this isn't even in Atleti's own hands anymore is a big deal. I will it make a, a bone of contention here. It is in Atleti's hands. Because if Atleti win every single game they have left, they will win the league. Because they've got to play Barca. Because they have they to, got play to play Barcelona. Barca. So it yeah. is. it does yeah. remain in the hands of Atletico Madrid, but they are no longer in pole position. I will. I mean, I will mate, if Atleti win every game from here on, then fair enough. Mm. <laughs> there are no signs of that. They've won no games in two months, so it'll be quite the turnaround. <laughs> There's no um, sign. Look, for once, I will not be a Granada fan on Thursday because I... <laughs> I just, I just want to see Jack's predictions crumble and burn. I've been there before. It's not nice. Do you mean you've been other... there before? It happens every year to you. Yeah. And I want others to experience it. Yeah, this is what mates are for, isn't it? This is why we have friends. People sometimes don't understand this about English people wanting their friends to experience failure. Well, now you're seeing it firsthand. We are cheering every single goal that goes into Atleti's net. Oh, yeah, I'm really glad. Really glad. With friends like these, who needs enemies? But also, also, let's give a shout out to... Um, Liga, because that's a hell of a title race as well. And Lille have given themselves a massive chance of beating PSG to, to the title. Um, came from 2-0 down to beat Lyon at the weekend. They won 3-2, kissing and hugging each other on the pitch. The coach was involved on his knees, cheering and celebrating, just believing that they can actually go and do that now. So that's two unbelievable title races. We've also got in Bundesliga, not a title race, but a fight for... European places and Dortmund try to push their way in there. Um, the Premier League probably the most boring of all, maybe. Yeah, actually, mm. because the Serie A fourth place race now is yeah. absolutely a light as well. Yeah, like AC Milan last night went down to fifth, I think, didn't they? But they're only like a point or two away from second still. Yeah. So it's watch all the leagues apart from the Premier League, really, at the moment. 
Yeah, there is obviously a, a kind of race on for for kind of, yeah. Spain as well. It's not it hugely seem, exciting, is it? We said on Monday, if Leicester win the rest of their games, they will just finish. Well, obviously, but if, if Leicester win these next two games, they will finish in a Champions League yeah, spot. Yeah, they probably do them. Um, so yeah, we will. Uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on everything as ever, but with with, with special interest across Europe, I think. Um, and obviously, there's also an incredible, incredible relegation strap still going on in in the Premier um where seven teams can still be relegated so i'm also going to be keeping an eye on that uh, well, sporting, sporting pulled out a big win over braga to to basically i think touch wood secure secure the bag um so that that should be good sam sam what's your thing you love yeah i'm going to continue the theme of talking about big names and big reputation players and managers we talked about flick nagelsman we talked about Bayern. we talked about top four races barca atleti real madrid and right in keeping with all of those names is Aston Villa striker Keenan Davis, who uh, finally scored a Premier League goal. And I'm just delighted for him. He stepped off the bench against West Brom on Sunday, Villa 2-1 down. His 29th top flight appearance. Oh and it's God. not that he'd not never great, scored for Villa in at all. He'd scored in Cups, he'd scored in the Championship too. But at Premier League level, he'd never done it. He was entering his 29th game in the Premier League without having scored. Now, look, there are some qualifiers. He's almost always coming off the bench. And in those 28 previous games, he played a rough total of about 700 minutes. Watkins plays all the minutes. Last season, he was second fiddle to Wesley and then Samata, although how he was second fiddle to Samata, I will never know. But the game count without goal was starting to tick towards 30. And no matter how you frame it, that's a really awkward conversation for a striker. 700 minutes per strike is still not a great strike rate, I would say. It's better than it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was actually naught. Yes. <laughs> He'd never scored. But look, Davis is actually quite a good player. And in an era where like we do tend to judge strikers by goal tallies, you know, I don't like that, but people do it. People miss the fact that that Davis is actually a good combination of speed and strength. When he steps off the bench, he causes a, a lot of carnage, actually. I mean, you boys saw that firsthand in the Fulham defeat. He can really ruffle your, ruffle your feathers, run the channels. Yeah. He's, a re- he's a real handful, I would say. But when he gets in front of goal, when he likes to pull the trigger, that composure just leaks away. He turns into Magikarp for some reason, right? When before, everything up until that shot, he is Garados. And I don't really understand why that happens. It's just a mental thing. But finally, he's got over the hump. He scored a goal. It was a terrible goal. Goodness me. Two yards out, poked it over his knee or something. It was awful. But they all count. They all count the same. He celebrated like he meant it. I'm just pleased for him because he's a player I like. He's another striker who never scores. And you know I love those. Yeah. I know you do. Excellent. Well done. So in keeping with all that, all this is fitting. Dean has abused me. You've talked about Keenan Davis and I've talked about managers. Um, and with that, we should probably move on to a very special interview. We've got Lee Robinson in from Modern Day Goalkeeper to talk us through how they are revolutionising. I'm going to go there and say the word revolutionising. The position with the training and the different aspects of goalkeeping that they're starting to promote. And we've asked him not only to talk about his different facets and, and how he's trying to change the perception of goalkeeping, especially within clubs, uh, but also for him to rank his top five goalkeepers in the world or favourite five goalkeepers in the world, we should maybe say. So that's coming up after the break. 
Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, and I'm delighted to announce that we have another special guest, another one of interview season, and Mr. Lee Robinson has joined us, former Rangers goalkeeper and the face of the men revolutionising goalkeeping, the modern day goalkeeper. Lee, thank you so much for joining. Oh, thanks, thanks for having us. It's great to meet you all. So, uh, thank you. Absolutely. And we're going to talk today about various things. We're going to do a ranking of the best goalkeepers in the world, in your opinion. But also we're going to talk about the fact that you are changing the way and the face of, of how goalkeeping looks for, for a new generation. And I suppose the easy way to start is how did this come about? How did you get into doing the modern day goalkeeper? It was all about what I wished I had in my career because everyone said I was exceptionally talented and I could, from six year old, I could catch crosses and everything. But I, ne- I was never developed. So the way of training, the advice, nothing. I got nothing. And I thought, I feel for these young goalies coming through. And I wanted to be that figure for them and make things more positive for them. And people are so scared to make mistakes. So I just want to make it, let them play with freedom. And uh, the work we've done so far has been amazing. And uh, But it comes from my career and what I wished I'd had, um, advice-wise, training-wise, glove-wise, everything. It rings all, all the truer as well when you say you wish you had some advice and some guidance, particularly given it's the goalkeeping position, which, as the cliche goes, is the loneliest position in football at times. It makes it even more important, so even more of a faux pas that you don't get any. Exactly. It's it's um, it's goalkeeper coaches, I think that's their job, is to look after the goalies. But it's um, advice-wise, it's more important than anything. Um, I wish I had somebody tapping us on the shoulder when I was leaving the Rangers training ground at quarter to 12, when I was 19, 20, telling us, do you realise talent's not enough? Do you realise that you need to work and apply yourself in the right way and get get your ass back in the training ground? But um, little th- little things like that, uh, I wish I had it. But of course, um, I was at a, it was a big club and it's 17 moving away from home. You should have, even up to 24, you're still a young goalie who needs advice and guidance. But... We want to be that for young goalies now, and we've done some we've had some great work so far, and made a big difference to a lot of a lot of keepers around the world. I'm going to chuck it to Sam, and he's going to talk us through. He's been you know studying away, and you've obviously had conversations about the ways that you're you're changing the position in terms of training and and how how it's perceived perhaps within within the modern game. And so Sam's going to walk us through, and then it'd be greatly if you could explain a little bit more about each kind of element that, that we're looking at in in changing the face of the profession. So I mean, what what struck me was you know looking at your Instagram page and your, your your YouTube channel now and then obviously speaking to you on the phone was like not only your your passion for goalkeeping and I've actually never heard anything like it uh, but your passion for changing the the goalkeeping status quo and mm-hmm. I genuinely don't think it's overstating it to say that you are trying to revolutionize the position and the way it's perceived so having spoken to you and watched all of your videos I've, I've sketched out a kind of top three in ranks fashion ways that uh, you are genuinely changing things and revolutionizing this industry and I'm going to tee each one up three to one and I'm just going to ask you to elaborate on each one so at number three we'll kick off with the fact that you appear to have a serious bone to pick with the nature of just goalkeeper training so I'm just going to let you uh, take take the mic well, from here it's not yeah, but it's um, you see too much of things. For me, what a striker does, and as a striker, they put the ball exactly where the goalkeeper finds it most uncomfortable. But you see too much training, and I've had too much in my career, putting the ball exactly where the goalkeeper wants it. And you can have a session where you catch 95% of the balls and you learn nothing. You don't get used to that. Make the mistake in the game. It's the worst feeling. You want the ground to swallow you up. 
it's horrible. You feel sick and you want the guy to swallow you up. But we, the way we train now is making you make mistakes. Parry, you might catch 10% of the balls because it's so, so difficult. You deal with this adversity. But like I said, uh, I see like a, a top national team and 99% of the balls is things that don't happen in a game. And if these guys were real, real amazing goalies who didn't have a weakness and stuff, but it's like um, this is the goalie coach should be helping every goalie and proving something every session and making things match related. But when you see balls get struck off a cone because they struggle to get under it a bit, and when you see um, volley, 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 I just think this is what people are looking at and thinking that's the way to train. And I think it's really dangerous because that's not prepared. Your job as a goalie coach and a goalie is to prepare for a Saturday or whenever you're playing. That's all you're in control of. On a Saturday, you can't control anything else from three to five. You've just got to deal with it. But your job is to to prepare for a game. And I think that's what training's all about. And it's um it does worry you sometimes when you see like uh, this the type of training and what I've done in my career, I think it was a massive thing holding us back. And um especially when you haven't got a great mentality, you need to be challenged. Yeah. Is this about difficulty then? Ultimately, first and foremost in training. Make training as difficult as possible. Don't tell anybody this because we like to but we make <laughs> as difficult as possible. And uh, make games as easy as possible. And um, like I say, we've obviously got the goals, but we'll go into that. But um, in terms of training, make things as difficult as possible and you're prepared for what's going to come rather than doing things that aren't realistic and fake and then trying, you feel as though in a game, you don't know what you're doing. It's like a different sport. It's part of this because of the fact that the teams are obviously separate. Obviously, we only see really, you know, as fans, goalkeepers training pre-game, right? So, the, you know, the hour, two hours before a game, and they're always separated from the rest of the, the pack because everyone else is, is warming up, doing all those different kind of things that, are, that involve sprints and, and all the different things that, that you kind of expect from, from outfielders. And, and is that separation causing issues? Because you're never going to be one-on-one against a, a coach. There's never going to be a thing where you're claiming a cross in the box with nobody challenging you. And, and is that part of it? When you said they're like about putting a ball in with nobody in the box, the worst thing is people do that, but the ball in the box isn't even realistic. In a game, I've watched a big team training before a game, and it was a guy, maybe 60-year-old coach, floating balls into the box. And then during the game, it was going to be Matt Ritchie from Newcastle, who puts one of the best deliveries in the country. That is not preparing yourself. So, But of course, any time you take a cross now, there's people in there. So the most important thing is to have bodies in, put pressure on the goalie, and know that most of the time the player isn't going to run at the goalie and hit him over when the ball's there. But if you get used to doing little things like that, it's harder than any game. So, um, But even in terms of the quality of the ball in, everything should be whipped in with pace like you're going to have to deal with in a game. Just take it back to that, Lee, in terms of what would what would the pre-game, or, or not necessarily on Saturday, but the pre-game training session then look like from your perspective? I'd love to know what your kind of session would involve at that point. When I played, even at Rangers, we had a goalie coach who was an older guy, and it was like you moved into the angle. You did the same every Friday. So you moved into the angle, you knew it was going to be a volley in your hands. You moved on to the other angle, you knew it was going to be a strike from a dead ball into your hands. It never happens in a game. And then you went in the middle and it was a hard volley down your throat. So you had like, I used to catch the ball and look for the next part. I think I've seen this exact routine oh, in a pre-game. you see it all the time. You yeah. see it all the time. You still see it now, even in the Premier League just before game. Like, it just looks pointless. It's what most people do. And it just, for me, 
I even know a goalie coach who puts sticky stuff on the ball for his goalies in the warm-up so it gets their confidence up. Whereas our way, is the warm-up is the most important session of the week where that's where you want to get your mistakes because you think, I need to focus more. But if he puts a top club and the goalie coach puts sticky stuff on the ball like a bomb so it, makes it, so it gives the goalie confidence. Whereas for me, that would just make it feel total false, false sense of security. So, yeah. um, but in that, and for us, um, the day before a game for me, it's everything's realistic, crossing. But when I was at a good club at Rangers, and obviously, like I said, the goalie coach was an older guy and very old school, and it was just not preparing you for a game. So I took all this and thought, you cannot prepare a goalie in this way for games. And um, what could have happened for me? My my biggest thing was my mentality. I worried and I got anxious and thought, if I don't do everything perfect during the week, I, I thought in a game I'm gonna I might make mistakes. Something bad's gonna happen. Blah, blah. But I wished I did the more specific training, made more mistakes in training. And then really went into the game in the right way, thinking I deserve to be here because I've put everything in and I've did the right training and stuff. So now if we had a goalie on a Friday, a little bit of kicking, um, match-related strikes, and then biggest session, like I know you said the Friday, Jack, the Saturday is the biggest session before the game. That's a massive one because it might have been dry all week when you've been training. And then it's a wet day. Goalkeepers have massive anxiety over a wet day, like, I knew a guy years ago, you have to start the game with a brand new ball at all levels. And this guy, went on, on a wet day, he'd uh, first kick the ball, he'd kick it over the stadium. And then the kit man would send on an old ball, which was a lot. Uh, <laughs> but that's, this is goalkeepers. But that's why, obviously, when we move on to the, the glove side of things, goalkeepers are genuinely get worried. And I don't know if you know, but a lot of the top goalies in the world use Vaseline on the gloves. Uh, but that guy in, who I played with, he used to kick the ball over the stadium, the new ball, and get a, an old one put on. So wow. it's uh, the conditions, the Saturday, that half an hour before the game, so important to make your mistakes, to get used to the speed of the pitch, whether it's dry, wet, um, everything. So that's a massive session. That's when it should be game-related, and uh, but not too strenuous, obviously. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. That's also quite sneaky. Uh, what what you talk about there with the gloves, uh, putting Vaseline on them, and, and also you know balming the ball and making it stickier is totally at odds with our with our second point here at number two in our ranking, which is again links into what we've just talked about. It's an invention of yours. Uh, it's uh, it's the zero glove. Just yeah. talk talk us through this. Uh, you know we don't know what this is. Hit us. Well, it's my idea, but I do think it's amazing. Um, I think that <laughs> so far. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I couldn't have wrote a bit. Well, we couldn't wrote it better ourselves, um, and it's given the people so much more confidence because it's especially for a dry day. Because on a dry day, you could wear you could have bare hands, you could have the worst gloves. Everything sticks, and it's harder not to catch. So that develops bad habits. Not looking at the ball, everything's so easy. And for me, I was really natural. It got me into terrible habits. I've got really bad habits in my game through my professional career. So, um, end of my career, and obviously I didn't benefit from it, but start to wear a neoprene glove. And then um, we've obviously developed our own, and it's the best backhand, best thumb I've ever had on a glove. And um, it's basically 100% their neoprene palm. So, no grip, it's so slippy. With a latex glove, especially in the dry, you could have the worst technique ever and catch the ball with there, with the fingers, anything. With these gloves, if you don't have perfect time and technique, the ball's not sticking, you're dropping it. So it finds a lot of people out. 
Um, it's funny we had a, a, our guy in Vegas who we we'll work with on it. Uh, he said one of his kids who's a because you get top pros who don't want to use it in case they drop the ball. But you get a nine-year-old kid in Vegas who says, "Oh, I hate them. It's ruining my ego." Because she was known as one of the best ones under nines, under tens, and it's amazing like the response from nine-year-old kid or a Benjamin Lecomte at Monaco thinks it's the best idea ever, and he uh, he used it in his chin, and I think it's uh, it's going to change the gloves that people wear because when you go from these to a thick glove, you'll be miles off it. The timing goes, you've got to wear something that's closer to your hand. And it's all about feel, feeling the ball and having the control, being able to play against the spin. But um, I think it's a, it's amazing. Like basically just a non-grip glove, which you can't get away with anything with it. And it makes training so difficult, and especially in the dry. What this reminds me of is in year seven and eight at school, we had to play on a separate playground to the years uh, 9, 10 and 11. And on that playground, because of the proximity to certain buildings, we were only allowed to use tennis balls and very small footballs. So for two years, I did nothing but play football with a tennis ball. And then when I got to year nine, I was absolutely amazing. Just give me a full size ball then after playing two years with a tennis ball and ask me to do keepy ups with the full size ball. I'll absolutely ace it. It's so easy to do that once you, once you change the equipment. So if you train with the tennis ball and then you use the size five, the full size football, it just changes the game completely. I'm kind of feeling that's the sort of thing you're going for here with the gloves, making yeah. it as difficult as possible, almost impossible to catch this ball in while, while crossing and training. Give, give someone the normal gloves in a game, everything surely is caught. Ah, oh, it's exactly a timing. Go- it's funny because the reason, like we obviously develop our own glove, but um, these gloves just, I feel that my handling's always been a brilliant part of my game. Whereas these have took it to a whole new level. It reminds me a little bit of, of the story of always that always comes up about Frank Lampard training at Chelsea, and he'd always train with like three jumpers and a and a heavy coat on, right. so that when he played at the weekend, he felt freer. And and that's the kind of the concept that's ringing around my head with this. Exactly, it's it's. Uh, I used to do. I used when I trained national turf, I would put a big thick jacket on, not only to protect myself. But when I did take it off for the games, you felt so free and it's basic stuff. But everything we do is about like handicapping yourself and making things so difficult. But I've never heard that one about Lampard, but I've heard like goalkeeper, co- uh, goalkeeper, there's a guy, John Berridge. And he used to, he was, I think he was mad, but he was really good. He used to have sand in his pockets and his jacket for training. And he <laughs> took it off and he said, oh, I could fly after that. And it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's uh, does Tony Adams training in a bin bag to sweat off the hangover count in this, or is that a different no, category? That's very different, I think. Okay. <laughs> that was different. Right. was good, like, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll move this on to the number one here in this list. Now, I've put this, I've put this uh, number one because I find this genuinely quite fascinating. Lee, you're looking to challenge a stereotype here. And that stereotype is that goalkeepers have to be of a certain height to be able to play, not just at the top level, but at any level at all. And that certain height we're talking is, you correct me if I'm wrong, Sounds like it's about six foot, six foot one, something like that. It's a, it's an absolute minimum there, and it's something that even I, I've come across when speaking to people in the game. You know, there is a minimum height at play here that you risk ruling out an incredible array of talented people and filtering out people for almost no reason at all, based on the fact that they're not quite six foot one, six foot two, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. But the first I would say is if you've got two identical goalies, one's six foot five, one's five eleven, yes, absolutely fine. But in general, the smaller ones, they move better, they're more naturally gifted. Um, when you do get a big one who is natural, I think it's going to be ridiculous. But in general, 
the smaller guys move better, kick better, time, but everything's better. So, but if you have got identical goalies at, and there was six inch difference, of course. But for me, um, the best compliment you'd never give to a big goalie is you would never think he was that big. And I think the guy Melier Leeds is a great example where mm. he's six six, but you would never think it because he plays, he moves his feet well, he's 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 really good at movement. And I'd say the same about Ben Foster. You would never think he was six foot five. Um, obviously he's in the championship now, but uh, he that's the best compliment you can give to a big goalie. I'd never thought he was that height. And I think mm. I used to think that about Joe Hart. But um for us it's um I think they just want a big guy, but I think it's six two. I was at a club not long ago and they give us stats I had a goalie at five eleven in who's the most exceptionally talented I've ever seen. But um at sixteen or seventeen they want him to be six foot one and they get all this data that um 90%, only four goalies in the last season of all the 50 goalies in the Premier League were under six foot two. But how I look at it is like you've got Kasper Schmeichel, who I would say was the best goalie in the Premier League for the last five or six years consistently, and he's just over six foot. But then you get a guy at six six who might get dropped at another club who weren't as good. So what what makes that right? Is it right? So, but but um, for us, it's it's about speed, timing, technique, positivity. And um, of course, the bigger guy should dominate even more than any small guy. But unfortunately, I don't think that happens. So what is this then? What, how is this stereotype sunk in? Is it just laziness? Big guy equals better goalkeeper. And we just haven't moved on from that in what? How, 20, how it looks. How it looks. But um, if you're playing against Man City, why would you ever have to be bigger than five foot ten? Because all they do is slide the ball back and do cutbacks. You would never have to catch an aerial ball. So that's what it's about. And it's about, I can see it like, just say you've got a 5'10 goalie and a six foot six centre back comes on and stands next to him. It doesn't look great, but the percentage of corners scored is about 3% of corners or something yeah. good. So forget about that. Think about what they can do with the ball and be the 11th player. But um, oh, it's a, there's a massive uh, stereotype. You have to, small guys can't play him. We've got one at the minute, like I said, uh, he's the most exceptional. He's like me but with a better head, more balanced, and just a totally different level. And I'm a good example. I played at Rangers, who was a brilliant, brilliant club with loads of pressure, and I was 5'10 and a half, and I would never, ever use my height as an excuse why I never played at a higher level. Mm. My problem is my mentality. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about Man City there. Claudio Bravo wasn't very tall, was he? I think he was six I'm foot. Just over six foot, right? Yeah, so like that's an example there of, of those clubs. I think Barcelona, what was Victor Valdez? He wasn't... Nice, six he wasn't foot. Huge, was he? Yeah. So in those type of teams, I think there is probably more inclination to at least give guys that are six foot probably a chance. But you know, typically you're right. Like you expect somebody to be Thibaut Courtois, maybe not quite that tall. But <laughs> I mean, are there any flaws with being six foot seven as a goalkeeper? Nice. Is it harder to get down? Like, is it actually harder? To- I don't know if I can name a guy six foot five or over who kicks a great ball. It's a lot harder to get down. Their biggest thing is uh, top corners and above them. I don't think they dominate anywhere near. Usually, the smaller you are, the quicker you are, the better you move your feet. So, like I say, if you're six foot six, you should dominate every ball in the box. Like, it's like me playing against kids at five foot eight. I would be thinking this is great, but they don't do it anywhere near enough. They don't dominate the game in the box. So, like I said, it's about balls coming for crosses. And um, I think a lot of guys, even if they are six, seven, love to stay on the line. What would you have picked if you could have been given a height? What would you have chosen as a goalkeeper? Of course, you'd want to be 6'2", but like mm. I said, our young goalie, Pat, 
I wouldn't change him for the world. I think at 5'11", he could be smaller than 5'11", and still play at the top level. Yeah. Because he, and if he was bigger, he wouldn't be the goalie he is. And I think we want to show this is what should be playing and um, just everything about positivity and um, proactive. Not there's yeah. proactive and reactive. You're either proactive and you go and stop the cross from ever, the ball from ever coming or the shot from ever happening. Or you're reactive, you stay on your line and just defend the line like a five-a-side goalie would. Surely as well, like there's, if you've got good timing and good spring and you're slightly undersized, can that drop just completely compensate? If you've got those elements down, usually a smaller guy would time it better. Yeah. So it's um, for us, it's if you can go and time it right as a smaller guy, it's a lot better than being a bigger guy and timing it wrong. And it's um, but it's, of course it's time and technique. Three T's: time and technique. Talent is the ones for us, but obviously it's um, that's what I think on crosses as well. Mm. That's what says you're a goalie. Like um, did any I don't know. I've seen you yesterday about Pat Jennings. He played a different era. It wasn't about sports, um, like uh, science and all. And but if you watch him, that inspires me to want to go and play in goal because the way he came out and caught crosses and dominated mm. the box. Whereas there's not many that that inspire me to want to play. Um, that would yeah. want to get the gloves on. I think this is what we want. I think this kid we've got, Pat, is going to inspire. And I would love for kids now to see goalies from 30 years ago, Bruce Grubbelars and uh, Pete Ladd. That makes it's like an all action thing. The one of playing goal when they see that. What age do you reckon kids start being judged on their height when they're coming through as keepers? What 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 point does that start? There's a club there. I know I coached a kid and his mum says they rated him out of five stars for growth potential at eight years old. What? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I thought you were going to cut something stupid like that. Yeah, I can imagine it. I can imagine it. Yeah. It's embarrassing. They look at the mams. I got asked the other day from a, a big club. Um, he says, um, "Can you let us know what height his grandfathers were?" Like, he's amazingly talented. He's got exceptional ability. Who cares what his granddads are? But mad, like. But we're trying to change it. But yeah. uh, we've had a few experiences lately. Clubs that are honest and say, "Oh, he came in about another goalie. Came in. He was never a goalie in a million years." But I says I could make him a goalie because he was six two and athletic. But when you've got loads of talent and you're smaller, I think the goalie coach is worried, thinking, I can't improve him. All mm. I can do is hope that he grows. And if he doesn't grow, I could be a failure. And they're so scared to take the chance on it. But if you sign a six foot three guy as a goalie coach, no one's ever going to question you. If you sign somebody at 5'11 and he looks young, oh my, you can't do that. That's criminal. But if the level of goalies was amazing now, an all six foot four, I would think, well, it's going to be really difficult. But is the level really yeah, that that's not the case i mean Fair. we can see some of this stuff on your on your youtube riley and and some of the the courses and coaching that you're putting together and, and seeing that that development of players we're able to see that on on your channels right yeah we've uh we do tutorials and see the messages we get from all around the world from brazil from uh, dubai from us same we've made a massive difference to how they play the game how they look at the position I wish this was about when I was younger, when I was playing. That's what we get messages, and it's so nice. And yeah, I didn't have the career I could have or should have, but this is a nice consolation. It helps so many. Perfect. Right. Well, uh, we'll move it on to your top five goalkeepers. There, we're excited to hear this. So you're going to run us through from from five through to one, and just a little explainer on, on each one. I was set the table here. I get the feeling this is going to uh, it's going to be different. To He's going to ruffle people. some feathers. This is going to be unconventional. I'm supposed way. to say the Atletico Madrid goalie and the Real Madrid. That's what you meant to say, but 
for me, modern day goalkeeper, we want to promote positivity and all action and taking part in the game. So we obviously going to have a different opinion. Yep. Who's at five? So I would say at the minute, I really like Ariola. Oh, no way. You've, you've done that. You know you're that in the, a you're in the right house. You're in the right house for Ariola praise. I love him. I love him. <laughs> I wish we could keep him, but we're going down, so we can't. But honestly, no, what a goalkeeper. Comes for crosses, not the biggest. He's got bottle, he's got good hands. He's excellent. So I think he could move up to the top three. I think at the minute, the way things are, a couple of years at uh, playing at Paris or a top club, if he gets to play, I think he's a, I think he's a much better goalie than the Real Madrid goalie. As a goal. But you're not meant to say that, but I think Aviola is a much more naturally gifted goalkeeper. Nice. Well, I, mean, I mean, he is very agree. good. We love him but, a lot. But we're going with we're going with Ariola's better than Courtois, just for the record. Oh, I would I would say Ariola as a goalkeeper, if he went through all the attributes, yeah, he's not six foot seven, but all his attributes, he's a much more talented goalkeeper. Right, Lee, who's in it for then? Yeah, I would probably I would you'd have to give Noya because I think he's um He's obviously had an amazing career and uh, he's he's just he's got balls, he plays and I love how he plays, although if you watch him as a goalkeeping purist and you wouldn't think he's the most naturally talented. You wouldn't think he was the most gifted goalie and um, how he runs, how he passes and stuff. He's got an awkward, unorthodox technique. Oh, definitely. He looks hobbled, doesn't he? Amazingly effective and he's um the textbook guys will be having a right coaches will be going mad at um, at Noya. Because um, you're not meant to do that, are you? What he what he does, but he's been amazing, hasn't he? For years, and won the World Cup, the Champions League, and you uh, you can't can't really um, fault him, can you? Yeah, I think so. What Neuer did in the World Cup 2014 was a bit of an eye opener, I think, for a lot of people. And I trace this for myself. I trace it back to the the Germany campaign that won the World Cup, and particularly that game against Algeria, where he looked, frankly, like he'd lost his mind. Uh, do you think that, that that performance and those performances of his during that World Cup in 2014 has done a fair bit to kind of shape perception around like modern goalkeeping? It has, but it's even though he's not the most naturally, he's not a natural footballer, the way he moves, the way he kicks everything, but doing what he did then, it was like something that had never been seen before. He was lucky on a couple of instances. He mistimed it. He misjudged it. If that was one of those things went wrong and he let concede the goal and Germany got knocked out, it, it would have been a totally different story. So yeah. um, for me, I think when you see that, though, I love. I'd much rather see that than somebody stand on the line and let the defenders just deal with it. Have you had people like sort of coming into coming in and being coached by you and sort of citing Manuel Neuer as a player that they want to be like? Have you seen? You know how we all pretend to be someone on the playground. Have you got, did you get goal, uh, like sort of trainee goalkeepers there wanting to be Neuer off the back of that performance? We had a guy, he's actually a coach, me and my brother laugh at it, but uh, he's a coach now at a, an academy. And uh, he used to uh, say to my brother in the morning, oh, did you see Neuer the other day? He was in the he was in the left back position. And this was before they played a game. And then during the game, he's going in and Mark's looking and he's seen him playing in the left back position. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just do the basics well, and then... yeah, worry about some other stuff first, mate. Aye, but um, <laughs> I so it was funny. But in terms of goalies coming in, they don't usually say I want to be like him or him. They do a lot of the time. It's they want to learn our techniques and the way we do stuff. So it's um, but you don't usually get a goalie saying I want to play like this guy or that guy. So 
Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we see that at outfielders, but maybe not. Maybe that doesn't transpose into uh, into the goal. Who's at three? Uh, um, Edison's got to be. I think um, purely because eighty percent of the game is with the feet, and I think he's um, he's the best ever. Isn't he? There's nobody anywhere near with the feet, and I think as a goalie again. He'll have his, he could improve probably. Shot stopping, I reckon. I just think it's genuinely, genuinely like, I reckon his biggest weakness is actually saving shots. I know. Doesn't sound good, does it? But, uh, <laughs> it doesn't. Aye, but he's, with his feet, he's amazing. He's, he's the reason why Man City play are the best team in the world at the minute. One of the big reasons, apart from the Bruyners, but he's a massive reason. It's a, He's a perfect fit for Guardiola. Yeah, uh, Guardiola wouldn't have anybody else. Obviously, Bravo went in and it didn't really work out. So, definitely top three, isn't he? Who's number two then? That's to say to Stegen. He's good at everything. He's solid. So, I think eight out of ten at everything. Probably to Stegen, isn't he? He's, uh, yeah. he's excellent. So, he's been so lucky having Neuer ahead of him. Technically, he's probably a more complete goalkeeper. Um, but, obviously, Neuer's been the best for the last 15 years, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I like this. It's one of those ones where you see him and obviously you meet him and he, he isn't that tall. He's like six one, just shy of six two. but he's incredibly agile. And and I think this is the thing with, with, with these players. He is, there is that kind of cat-like reef and it's a massive cliche to, to use the cat analogy, but there is that kind of element to his game that seems so quick and so sharp. And it, it's something we, I think, Buster lacked for, for, for some years into, between the Valdez and Stegen eras, where it just didn't quite work. And he came in and added that calmness to, to that back line again. I think he's, he's, he's been solid for years and um, he's been so unlucky not to play in the German team but I think when you're doing your list of goalies like Testegen's probably one of the most all round whereas you get Yedison who's 10 out of 10 for his feet but maybe not as big yeah. as high scores as Testegen then you get uh, Ariola's a great one in terms of being high up for everything I'd definitely say Testegen definitely up there Okay, and who that leaves us space for one more. So, uh, just looking down my long list of goalkeepers I've written down here, you've not yet said Allison or Oblak. You've pretty much ruled out Courtois. You've not said Kayla Navas either. And those are like the big, big hitters. Is it what is it one of those? Because he's smaller, I think he's unorthodox. Um, but I think at the minute, the way Navas has played and in, in the Bayern Munich game, especially in the tie, you'd probably have to say, um, in terms of technique, again. Not the most um, like uh, nice to watch, but he comes for crosses, he takes chances, and um, I think he's um, he's got bottle and he's been massive for Paris in the in the run to the final, isn't he? So yeah, Navas is amazing. He's absolutely, yeah. and runs the risk of being perennially underrated. I think probably he does just because he's less glamorous than a lot of the other players in this conversation. I don't know why that is, because he's played for Real Madrid and PSG, but he still doesn't necessarily get that love. I first saw him at the um, World Cup in 2014, and he was coming for crosses. He looked really, really good, and that's when he got his move, I think, from, was it Levante to, to Real Madrid? I think yeah. he went from Levante. He was amazing at his previous... I think it was Levante. He was amazing for them as well. Like, genuinely brilliant. He's been consistently really good, very few mistakes, and he's been. I think it was unfortunate the way Real Madrid treated him. Um, but I think it's. Uh, but the, the for me the mad thing is the top like for the five goalies, it's hard to put them in in order. But mm. in terms of the top five, there's there's nobody that you would say was really special. I think Ariola's got potential to be the number one best in the world. I think he's that. I think he's got that much going for him. Um, I think he's the one to watch. And then obviously in terms of 
you would put Melier in the conversation, I think, in a year or two's time. I think he's probably the best young goalie. Best thing you can say about him is that he's six six, and you'd never know it. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just he plays so well. But I think that also in each part of the game, I think like say Loris for how he moves his feet and how his feet are always on the ground, he's brilliant at that. But um, overall, I think the five of them you could really you could rotate. But I know there's people would put Courtois and Oblak in the in it. But for me, it's got to be the one usually the ones that are a little bit smaller. What about so Oblak is probably maybe listening to you speak about how you like your goalkeepers to move and to operate I can see why Oblak wouldn't wouldn't reach your list because we know he's a bit more passive um, and definitely maybe uh, as a constraint of the system of Atletico he's never been the best with his feet either so he's probably not ticking those boxes but a lot of people would have him top five his clean sheet record his reflexes I see it a lot about Oblak but for me I just look at it's like they call them the wall. And what I, what I think is like when say, people say about big, strong guys that are playing the line, I thought, well, what happens if somebody, the goalies get bigger and bigger and bigger and all of a sudden they fill the goal and then nobody can score and they don't save the ball because of talent or technique or timing. They save the ball because they're big. It's a perfect team. If Oblak played in Man City, he wouldn't be classed in the top 20 because he couldn't play that way. And I think Edison playing in Atletico Madrid it would be the same. I don't think Edison would be anywhere near as good in Atletico Madrid. So I think it's all about getting the perfect goalie for the perfect teams. And Testegan's great for Barca um, and Edison for Man City or Black for Atletico Madrid. So, yeah. But I think um, in terms of the young ones, I think fans look as though they've got the best young ones in terms of Ariola and he's 26, 27 and also Melier. I think yeah. they're going to be really, really good. A lot of talent coming through that pipeline, I think. Um, thank you very much, Lee. That, that's a brilliant top five and one that I think is going gonna, is gonna to cause some discussion, which is always is always what we're after. And that's pretty much it uh, from us. So it probably just all that's left to do is to, is to say thank you so much. Uh, and also, where can our listeners find you on, on social media, on the internet? And, and what is it that you're doing over there? So we just started, we're really focused on the YouTube now, Modern Day GK YouTube channel. Um, it's all about edu- education and the ways of training. Um, focus on crossing, which we think is massive, um, about the gloves, everything, the mental side of the game and uh, how we want goalkeepers to play. So YouTube's massive for us now. really want to do as much education, but also on Instagram, the Monday GK, and on TikTok um, on there as well. So any any questions anybody's got, we're always there to answer. So thanks for your time. No, and thank you so much for coming oh, on. It's well. been a real pleasure. Lee, we'll have to sort out a... Uh... A ranks FC uh, modern day goalkeeper collision course where uh, you come and teach us a few of these things and we can put uh-huh. some on YouTube. It will put your theory to the test yeah, as well. Because me and two, Dean are five foot eight two. and Sam's yeah. six foot five. We can we can see <laughs> six five. I'm six four. Yeah, a lot of clubs will take you. How old are you? <laughs> I'm twenty two. <laughs> no, he's not funny, I'm, th- I'm 31. I'm 31. Hey, still rather take a six foot four, 31 rather than a 5'11, 17 year old who is. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And therein lies the problem. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you so much. If the opportunities come up, I'll let you know, Sam, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Well,
Well, thank you so much to Lee. Now, Dean, I know that was basically your worst nightmare because you hate talking about goalkeepers, but I'm going to suggest it was quite fun. He was quite a nice bloke for a goalkeeper, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring up the fact that I um, don't think goalkeepers are footballers. Um, I'm glad you didn't as well. Well, yeah, while well, it just didn't, have, didn't really seem to fit in with the conversation we were having. Two, he seems like a really, really nice bloke. Three, seemed like he could probably beat me up if we ever meet each other. So, yeah. Four, goalkeepers are footballers. Yeah, probably fair point. The point is moot. <laughs> the point is getting off. Um, right, it's probably time, though, for your favourite time of the week and my favourite time of the week, Dean Jones. Okay. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Referee Ricardo de Burgos of Bengecha. I definitely didn't pronounce his name properly, but we all know who I'm talking about. It's the referee that decided to end the Sevilla-Granada game one minute early. Um, yeah, there was four minutes of added time on the clock. Um, Roberto Soldado had converted a penalty in the 90th min. And, you know, they thought they had four minutes to get the equaliser. But no. seem reasonable when that is the time that goes up on the sideline. You do tend referee. to... Absolutely. But no, this referee, after three minutes, blows the full time whistle. Um, Granada players took it really well. (laughs) There was within seconds, eight of them around him shouting abuse at him, Um, (laughs) which is, to be fair, absolutely valid. Um, The players were literally back in the changing room getting changed. When he was like, yeah, probably should play that other minute, shouldn't I? Like, it's like his conscience got the better of him. Um, And they came back out and played the final minute. Um, He pulls the Sevilla players out, doesn't he? He hauls them out of the dressing room. Fernando is topless. He swapped his shirt with a Granada player. There's people on the I want to know who the Granada player was who wasn't one of the eight, who was like, well, might as well swap shirts with Fernando, actually. (laughs) Everyone else is like absolutely giving it large to the ref. He's like, what about if I swap shirts? (laughs) (laughs) You've got people sat down on the sidelines putting their shin pads back on to play a minute of football. It is very funny, though. It is very funny. I mean, I'm glad he called them back on because you can't call games a minute early. No, I mean, like technically you might have to like play the the other minute at a later date. Have you seen when before when matches have been like postponed because of bad weather and the teams have to come back and finish it the next day and play like the last five minutes? Like these teams could have been having to rock up the next day back at the stadium to play the last 60 seconds. Well, at least they're both Andalusians. It would have been too far a journey. It would have (laughs) been okay. Yeah, the, uh, The postponed game thing. Do you remember the Galatasaray versus Juventus one? The blizzard got uh, caught up mm-hmm. in Turkey and they uh, they started the game again in like the 40th minute. I was live blogging it for Bleach Report and I had to return the next day to finish the live blog. And <laughs> at the time, Emmanuel Abue was off the pitch injured, getting treatment. So they had to restart the game in the exact same circumstances, which meant that Abue had to stand on the sideline and be injured <laughs> for the start of the game. And then the ref waved him back on. It's like, it's the next day. Amazing. Fine. Great scenes. That is Absolutely amazing. Unbelievable scenes. Um, right. It's the gibberish alarm, Sam. Oh, yeah. Okay. This week, I've got a lot of injuries for some reason. And so I've decided to rank them. It's actually a top five. I've got five injuries right oh. now. You are so, getting old. Yeah, I know, I know. But I'm ranking them based on how obstructive they are to my life right now. Okay, so that's the basis of the ranking. Uh, number five, it's this scab on my knee, which I'm going to show you now. They don't show us, just crack on. Well, that's quite a big scab, to be fair. Yeah, it's like quarter of the knee, something like that. 
um, fell over in football last week, and um, you know what it's like on one of those pitches. It's like a, it's like more of a hockey pitch. It's not three G. Uh, it's like uh, sand. 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 It's got sand base. on it, and it's it's just it's a skin ripper. It really is. No idea. Look, this isn't. It's not the worst injury in the world, but I've noticed that when I put trousers on, it catches, and that's kind of annoying. Um, into number four, it's this kidney pain that I can't seem to shake. Oh yeah. Yeah, I went to hospital on Saturday with kidney pain. Um, had some tests. I'm okay. Uh, I think he thinks anyway. They're not really sure. Uh, probably just a, like a little stone or a part of a stone, which is probably going to have to, you know, go at some point. But it's not blocking anything. It's not a major, re- not a major problem. You think kidney pain probably ranks higher than? Four? I was thinking this. This what on earth? Your other injuries? <laughs> no, but the, but the reality is the pain. It just isn't that bad. I, I barely have to take painkillers, okay. um, so that's all right. In at number three, I've got neck pain. Um, mm. I got this new monitor for my desk, and I set it to my right. And then two weeks later, I've got a pain in the right side of my neck. Uh, mm. Pain. What's a pain in the neck that is? Yeah, indeed, yeah, indeed. Is. I mean, I've figured it out at least. I've now started to put the monitor square on behind it. So uh, things are improving day by day. Okay. In at number two, is, um, I'm sure we've all been here, but I've done a really bad version of this. Have you ever uh, like drunk water and it's, it's gone down the wrong hole? Yeah, Mate, I have a you... massive issue with. I am almost incapable of drinking water without choking. It's water <laughs> and tea. Taylor gets Taylor like sometimes it's wound up by it, and sometimes it just looks at me laughing or shaking her head. I can't drink water or tea without having a coughing fit and choking. Sometimes I choke on my own breath. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> goes down the, the wrong thing, hole. The thing is, like obviously, it's such a violent set, like explosion of coughing, isn't it? Because yeah. it happens. Your eyes start watering. You're wincing. It's really bad. I did a really, I did really bad version of it last night and ended up retching over the toilet and I could still feel it in the back of my throat and I've been coughing all morning just because I did an extra large dose of water down the lungs sure <laughs> I'm sure it's fine though I'm sure that water in the lungs is not a problem brilliant um, sounds like it might not be and in at number one uh I've got a really really sore right hamstring from playing golf every single time I play golf now my right hamstring screams at me the next day Mm. I'm a big guy my hamstrings are very short I should really do daily stretches but I think it's that twisting motion through the back end of the swing where you turn to you turn your hips and you face if you do that 80 or 100 times in one sitting with your hamstrings as short as mine you wake up the next day your hip flexors on fire but your hamstring god your hamstring and boys I can't climb the stairs and you know how many stairs are in my house you've been here now yeah Yeah, I've got a lot of stairs yeah I have to stay on the same floor for like eight hours yeah you're just living in the kitchen (laughs) <laughs> spend all my time everything to the bottom floor yeah yeah just, just crawl upstairs for the studio yeah no problem <laughs> those are my right. five injuries well I'm good to hear not, you're a good, got a clean good clean bill of health imagine you in like another 20 years time well yeah. the great news is i haven't sustained any more since i wrote the gibberish ranking uh, before the podcast there is reasons to be to be joyful then my my biggest bugbear at the moment is my hay fever is through the oh i've got roof. yeah i've got I hay can't... fever I cannot breathe. I cannot sleep. Yeah, um, I'm waking up with, with, with hay fever induced sort of 6 a.m. and I'm wide awake and can't breathe. It's, it's really not great. Um, but look, here we are. Here we are. We live and learn. Uh, and with that, it's probably time to call this episode a day. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Sam Tsai. Cheers, mate. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. And to Mr. Lee Robinson from Modern Day Goalkeeper. Go and check them out on Instagram and go and check them out on YouTube. There's loads going on there, especially if you are in the goalkeeping world. Enjoyed having Lee on and enjoying looking at uh, what they're doing. So I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.
Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 